team now. Well, good evening, friends, and welcome once again to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you once again this week. And this week we are pre-recording just as we did last week. I continue to have a bit of a battle with chicken pox here. It's been a challenging week. I do appreciate your prayer so much, but we're going to record early, but still get to dig into God's word together. That's the big thing, and I'm so thankful for that. And let's go ahead and come before our God and ask for his guidance as we begin a new series looking at Philippians chapter four. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening and for your word as we Think about what it means to be those who are in the book of life, those who are called together as your people, those who are called to follow you and to show your love to this world. Would you help us to understand better what that means, how we live those things out in our lives, how we are to be your church here on earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we open tonight, we had a video that sampled bits of the openings of the other three series we've done in the book of Philippians. Perhaps they seemed familiar to you. Two of them on Monday nights on Steadfast, one during our Sunday sermon series back last summer. And their tones are starkly different because Paul is covering a, a range of different emotions in this book. He's dealing with being in prison and the challenges of that, whether he's going to live or die. There are false teachers who are trying to penetrate the church and, and pull it astray from where it's meant to be. And, and yet, on the other hand, there are these people, these Philippians that, that he's ministered to whom he loves deeply and cares about and rejoices in. And there's the goodness of who Jesus is, the, the good news that they have heard that Paul declares that Paul's experienced and it all comes together, just like in our lives. Sometimes life is going pretty well, and suddenly we find ourselves covered in unexpected spots. Sometimes we have something come crashing into our house, or we get a phone call with bad news. There can be all kinds of different ways that suddenly things come to a jarringly different place. And as Paul describes the situation of the faithful life to the Philippians, he's talking about those things, the, the good and the bad, just as we experience it. Well, how do we live that? How do we face those changing situations and live as those who have joy? Because that's what we keep coming back to in Philippians over and over again, is, is being a people of joy. It comes to understanding who we are, that we are those who are placed in the book of life, those who who are loved by God. If you're trusted in Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, then you're in the book of life. And there's joy even in those moments, like we started off with last January in the first part of this exploration, Joy in the Dark, where it feels very dark because we hang on to what Jesus is doing even in the midst of that. Our joy is not rooted in the moment, how things are going, how our health is, how our jobs are, how everything's going with our families and friends, or our churches. Our joy is rooted in 
who Jesus is. And so if that's where we are, then everything else, everything else comes to that. When we look at the end of Philippians 3, where we left off last summer in this in the previous series, talking about being citizens of heaven and how everything is going to be brought under the control of Jesus, how can how can we not have joy? Even when in the moment it doesn't seem that way. And so it is as we turn to Philippians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so as he's looking back at everything he's written up to this point in this book, he says, stand firm. You can stand firm even in the challenges that you face. And he's going to discuss several more challenges as we go through this chapter. But they can stand firm because they know who they are in Jesus. I think before we jump into the other situations over the next few weeks, though, it's helpful for a moment just to stop in this first verse. Here in, in verse 1, there, there's something that's very, very clear. And yes, he's calling them to stand firm, but notice how he refers to the people whom he's addressing. My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he calls them his brothers. You might today translate that brothers and sisters. He's referring to the people of the church in general. But in other words, his siblings, those who belong to his family, those whom he loves, he longs for them, his joy and his crown, and he calls them his beloved. He loves the people whom he's writing to. As he calls them to stand firm, he's not writing to, to people just because he he has a ministerial relationship to them, or they've hired him as an apostolic consultant. Hey, we need an apostle to consult with us. Hey, Paul, come over and, and consult. And Paul says, well, here's the things you should do. You should stand firm. He's writing to people whom he deeply, deeply loves. And we've seen that throughout the letter. All the way back in verse 8 of chapter 1, he talks about that these people are beloved to him. And so it is when he says that they're his joy and crown, their success is his success, and not in the sense that he gets to feel really important because people whom he's advised are now doing really well and it can improve his record or whatever. No, it's because he loves them. He wants them to do well. His joy is that these people whom he has ministered the gospel to can succeed. I think this is getting at the heart of something that we have to be very careful about, and it should challenge us in the way that we represent Jesus to the world today, whether it's to our coworkers or family or friends or neighbors, whoever it might be. Those online, do we love the people? Do we love the people that we share the gospel to? Now, certainly there are times we see throughout the New Testament, for example, when Peter's preaching to multitudes, he he may not, in a sense, love everyone he's preaching to. He doesn't know everyone he's preaching to. But certainly we see time and again when the apostles go and minister to people, when they go into a church, when they, when they spend time with people, they show love towards them. Whether they're just getting to know them, uh, for example, with the Philippian jailer, just as an example, or incidentally, it's in Philippi, but that's another story. Or when you're talking about Paul writing to the Philippians or the Thessalonians, or even churches that sometimes are 
clearly struggling a lot more than those two, such as the Corinthian church. There's a deep love there. There's a relationship there. Do we love the people we share the Bible with, that we share God's law with, that we share God's righteousness with, that we share God's love with? There's the crucial one, if you think about it. All this is driven by God's love. Are we actually loving as God loves? And of course, we're not. We're never going to love to the extent that God loves. But are we trying? And sometimes we can fall into that challenge. We need to share the gospel with a certain number of people. We need to make sure people know what God thinks about this or that sin in the world very clearly. We want to make sure that people hear that. We want to make sure that people know that our, our leadership's ungodly or our world is ungodly or, or whatever it may be. And so we can be very good at broadcasting views from Scripture. But are we broadcasting God's love? And, and the key thing here is that as Paul is encouraging these people to mature in Christ, to, to follow the gospel, to experience it in their lives, he's He's rooting all that in the fact that he deeply loves these people. And that's transformative. Just think about when people speak into your own life. Is it, do you receive it as well when it's someone who just wants to let you know that you're wrong as when it's someone who loves you deeply and wants to help you avoid something wrong? Now, sometimes we have a knee-jerk reaction even when it's someone who, who's deeply loving to us, but Generally speaking, we're much more likely to hear that and we're much more likely to open ourselves up and, and work through something with someone who loves us, whom we trust, whom we, we, we have a relationship with, than someone who just wants to come and smack us over the head. We need to recognize the same thing is true as we share the truth about who God is with people around us. Do we love them? Sometimes we, we really just want to see people fail, unfortunately. I, I think the internet culture shows us very clearly that that's an impulse in us as human beings. For example, every few years there's some kind of ridiculous challenge that goes into viral videos. A, few, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, there was the milk crate, milk crate challenge. I want to say milk crate challenge. It wasn't great because what people were doing is they were stacking milk crates and seeing how many they could stack, how high they could go, and walk on them without falling off. And if that were easy to do, I suspect it wouldn't have gone viral. What went viral is that we, as a society, enjoyed watching people climb up the milk crates and fall off of them, go catapulting over onto their head, onto their back, all these sorts of things. And these videos were getting tens of thousands, if not more, shares because someone would climb up, maybe they'd make a triumphant gesture at the top of this mountain of milk crates, and then as they take the first step, back towards the base of their milk crate mountain, they'd go tumbling over. I saw one person saying, that person broke their neck and they were celebrating. And of course the person thankfully didn't, but they could have. Sometimes we celebrate when people get hurt. I've seen an awful lot of viral videos like that. We've had video shows on TV that like to show people doing things that are ill-advised and, and injuring themselves. Why do we like that? I think sometimes it's because it gives us a sense, well, I'm not stupid enough to have done that. I've done a lot of stupid things, but I haven't done that, whatever that may be. Uh, if you've climbed up a milk crate, I'm, I'm not at all condemning you on that. I, I wouldn't have done it myself, but 
you know, we, we see someone else do something, and we think, well, I wouldn't have done that. Ooh, that hurts. And then it happens to us, right? We, we laugh at, we see a viral video of a bunch of people slipping on ice, and then we go out on, a, on an icy day and we slip ourselves and it really hurts, and we don't feel so smart anymore. Paul could look at the struggles of new believers and and kind of want them to keep going a little while so he could see them stumble and then say, well, look at me. I, I'm so much better than you. I, I didn't do that. That's not what he does. Here he is in prison. He, he doesn't have much to brag on himself by worldly standards, but, but he looks at these Philippian believers and he loves them and he wants to encourage them. Not so that he can lord over them, and not so that he can tell them something and then say, see, I told you so when they didn't do it, or or to, to show how much better he is. He, he wants to call them to stand firm and to talk about what the Christian life looks like, specifically because he doesn't want to see the viral videos. He wants to see them okay. He wants to see them grow in Jesus. And I think that comes back to that question, do we love those whom we share biblical truth with. Sometimes I think we get a little bit too much delight when we see the world going away from, from the Bible and its truth, and we see something bad happen. And we say, ah, see, if you would just follow the Bible, it wouldn't go like that. It's an ugly, human, sinful impulse, but it's very present in us. Paul's modeling something different, and it's what the church should look like. This is what we should look like as we help people to be discipled. We should not be taking delight in their failures, but we should want to encourage them, to love them, and to see them grow away from those failures. Paul, presumably one thing that keeps him a little bit in check here, because he's a fallen sinful human being too, is that he knows how far he had fallen, how wicked he had been as a as a person who was quote-unquote religious, and yet Paul left his own device is horrible. But Paul encountering Jesus, Paul experiencing the gospel, is changed because Jesus loves him. Jesus cares about him. That's what Paul's trying to show also to these Philippians. So we find that, that Paul takes his, his joy in the success of these people, not in their failures. He's discipling them towards success that ultimately means he's sort of outdated in their lives in any sense of being needed. He's not trying to give just enough gospel so that they can be believers but not be as wise as he is, that they can be less important than he is. He's giving them everything he knows, everything he has. Because his point isn't to stay important. His sole purpose is to call them into following Jesus, recognizing that when he's gone, he wants them and their children and their children's children to also follow Jesus. Paul's joy is in their spiritual health, and so Paul can be in prison. Paul can have his own prospects not looking very good and still have joy. You can say they're his joy and his crown. He doesn't look at them and say, well, why are things going okay for them? They're free and I'm in prison. He doesn't look at it that way. We saw earlier in the book that Paul actually was rejoicing even when people who specifically wanted to get an advantage over Paul were teaching the people, so long as they were teaching the truth of the gospel. Because Paul didn't care who got the credit. Paul just wanted to see these people whom he loved grow. He wanted to see their health in Jesus grow. 
that comes to where he's going to give these final exhortations in the book, where he wants them to stand firm because they're going to face challenges. They He's already talked about challenges they're going to face. And all of them, they, he wants to see them stand firm. Doesn't It's not stand firm until I can get there and, and rescue you. It's stand firm because Jesus is with you. It's not always easy to get to. Kind of checks our egos a bit when when we can see people and they stand firm on their own, when we can see the work we're doing in ministry stand firm on its own. It's both wonderful and terrifying and a whole bunch of things. I was reminded of that in an itty-bitty way yesterday. Here, Paul's in prison. He can't be with the church that he's established here. But uh, with chickenpox, I may not be imprisoned, and I hopefully won't be gone for that long, but I couldn't be with you at in person in, in the, at the Sunday service at Little Hills for the first time. And it was a little weird. It's nice to be needed. It's nice to know that things that, you know, I'm punching this button or that button and to make sure that the live stream goes up for our online church family and and I, I'm preaching or reading the scriptures or doing communion or, or these different things. And so it's a whole bunch of emotions. And yet there was a beauty to it, to see Little Hills going. And, and I was right on in my chair, right with those of you who are part of our online church family. We were watching together, worshiping together, hearing God's word preached together. It just felt a little weird when I'm used to being the one that's actually making a lot of these pieces come together, and I wasn't. And it made me think about what Paul was thinking as he was imprisoned and he couldn't be there at all, and he didn't know when he could be there at all. Sometimes it's life circumstances like illness. Sometimes it's being arrested and imprisoned. Sometimes it's a multitude of different things that keep us out of a place where we've been ministering someone's life or in the lives of a church or whatever it might be. But here's what Paul shows us. We're called to, to love people. And as we we're called to love people, we're called to rejoice, not because we're needed, but because God's work is going forward. And to the extent that he allows us to be a part of that, it's not that our joy is that we're so integral to it, but rather we're getting to see what God's doing in people's lives. And, and as I see God working in all of your lives over time, and it, whether you're there on Sunday nights in person, whether you're tuning in online, wherever it might be, we're drawn together as a church family. The joy in walking together as being those in the book of life together is that God's working and we can see each other growing. And as we love each other, we rejoice in that growth and where God is taking us. And as we think about what it looks like all the more over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to come back to time and again. A call to rejoice in growing together and being the body of Christ more strongly together. Seeing the gospel proclaimed to more people together. And standing firm, rooted in who Jesus is. That's where our hope is. That's where our joy is in every season of life. That's where it is tonight, and it's where it always will be. Would you pray with me, please? Father, would you help us to, to get our joy in the truth of your love? Would you help us to rejoice as others grow stronger in the faith? Would you help us to, to not want to see ourselves be more important or more needed, but to want to see you be all the more important every single day. Lord, would you make that the mission of our church, that, that our goal would not to be 
most important church or, or that people desperately need us, but rather that people realize how desperately they need you. And would you help us as we minister to people individually throughout the week, throughout our lives, that that would be the same, that our goal would be to help people see just how important you are and not how important we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. This has been encouraging to you. Please do give it a like or a share. It really does make a difference. And then make plans to join us again on Sunday night. We are continuing our series. And we are going to have Tim Krenning. You've seen him share the reading of God's word a number of times over the past months here at Little Hills. He's going to be sharing in the preaching of God's word this Sunday. I'm really excited. Pastor Tim Krenning is going to be a wonderful service, I am sure, as always. And I hope to see you there at 5.30, either online or in person. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. And I'll see you again very soon.